This episode is sponsored by Luminous Creative Agency. Headquartered in downtown Providence, Luminous works with businesses and organizations to enhance their marketing efforts by developing high-quality creative content, such as video, ad campaigns, design, branding, and more. You can learn more by visiting Luminous.agency. That's L-U-M-I-N-O-U-S dot agency. To the Hey Roadie podcast, where we take a deep dive into the people of the Ocean State. We are your hosts, Nick and Sasha. Hello, everyone. We are happy to be here on this beautiful, well, it's not spring yet, and who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. But right now, it's like 50 degrees out. So yeah. today is a beautiful day. It is. It's nice out. Um, so anyway, that's a long way to say, hi, guys. Um, Hello. <laughs> on this episode, we have Chris Sparling. He is a screenwriter who is right from Little Roadie, which is really cool because- I thought you were going to say, like, he is a screenwriter, which means he writes screen. He writes like, screen. I was like, I don't think that's what that means, <laughs> Sasha. Well, like, a copywriter is someone who writes copy. They do write copy. But, like, it seems like- a screenwriter doesn't write screen. They I write know. for screen. They though. write for some- screen. What if yeah. it was, like, a screen for writer? Screen for- That would sound terrible. You're making my brain work we too hard right way now. way off topic. Actually, on topic, but just ridiculous. Anyway- Chris was so fun to talk to because anyone who knows me personally or through the podcast knows that I love celebrities and I love pop culture. And Chris is a celebrity and loves pop culture and knows a lot of other celebrities. Like he walks on red carpets and stuff, which was overwhelming for me. And hopefully I was able to keep my cool. No, nah, you did good. Okay, good. Yeah. And it, uh, we actually, Phew. like, I think he, now that I'm thinking about it, he like kind of like like shucked and jived those celebrity questions that we sent to him. And he responded more to the just like directing and writing questions. I had so yeah. many questions that I didn't ask. <laughs> Next time, Chris, we will have you back on our show. Um, it was really cool. The thing that I thought was really cool is because I love celebrities and movies and TV and all that stuff so much, it was really cool for me to get to talk to someone who like lives that life. Like he was talking about how long it takes to get a movie made and how you know, you have one movie that gets, you know, funded by a big producer and all of a sudden, like, you're working with Ryan Reynolds in, you know, where I think he said Spain is where they filmed the movie. But like how things can change so quickly, but like behind the scenes, it takes like forever to get the the green light or to get, you know, to hire certain people and to rewrite scripts. And it was just really cool to hear like his process. And yeah, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I think it worked out well too because so I also um, love I, I I arguably watch too much. Yeah, I watch too much Netflix and too many movies, <laughs> and I spend way too much of my time consuming that kind of content. Yeah, but like I've like kind of always been a little obsessive about it, and I've always loved to like read, and like it all kind of goes hand in hand mm-hmm. and plot structure and plot points and how movies are made, and then also like i'm a photographer so yeah. i'm always really interested in the behind the scenes of like how something was shot mm-hmm. and like so the we editing had editing and the color scheme and the music and all yeah. that stuff yeah so we had a good like uh like we were two sides of the coin to yeah. ask the question so i think it that's worked out true great. that worked out really well yeah. i liked that yeah he was in the reason he well one of the big reasons why he came and talked to us is because he has a new movie um that's being released by the time you're listening to this, it will have already been released a few days prior to this episode. But it's called The Desperate Hour, and it stars Naomi Watts. Yeah. And the movie, it was, it was really cool because the movie, he produced the movie, and he did that in Rhode Island completely remote. Um, 
and the movie was filmed in Canada. So it was like hearing also that side was really cool. Um, yeah, I just really, I really liked talking to him and all of his movies cause me major anxiety because a lot of them are about like house break-ins or the end of the world or like something of that nature. Um, but it was, it was very fun. Yeah, it was the what you were bringing up about him producing the movie um, and, you know, being remote for it. It was just kind of a, we've talked to a bunch of people and COVID has been brought up as far as like local businesses and, mm-hmm. you know, where we stood with like, you know, capacity and, you know, uh, seating and when you could open, when you couldn't open. It was just a different story of like people having to adapt to the insanity that we've had to live through the past like two years now which is wild yeah and it's from an industry that nick and i really have no i don't know anyone in the movie industry i mean brian a long time ago in like college made independent films that's about as close to the movie industry that i that i am so i know some people who lived in california (laughs) (laughs) that's as close as i get i know some people who were on a stage in high school for their drama club that's true too (laughs) Um, but no, he was he was super cool, and I hope to have him back to talk about for, uh, future projects and and what he's doing. Um, it's nice to have someone that's that big, like be from Rhode Island. Like it makes me smile. Yeah, it's cool. The, the you don't think about it, or I didn't think about it when I was younger at all. But like, there's a decent amount of mm. like quote unquote famous people yeah. from Rhode Island. Viola um, Davis. Yeah. Uh, or what like the hell? Uh, Charlie Day. Mm. Uh, I don't know if he's originally from here, but you know, he uh grew up uh in Rhode Island or, you know, we have this he's a screenwriter. Yeah. Or we have um the guy uh who The Farley built, Brothers. Oh, the Farley Brothers, the guy who built all the sets for Saturday Night Live was yeah. based out of Rhode Island. Like there's yep. all kinds of like little random mm. tidbits of uh of you know, Hollywood and uh, bigger screen kind of stuff mm. that comes out of our state, which is very surprising. But yeah, and it was cool with Chris specifically, like when we when I obviously I am I am DB'd him. I was like, oh, shoot, I've seen that movie. I know that movie. I It's just crazy. Like he di- he's done all these cool things being right from our little lovely state. So it was really cool. I had fun. And I hope everyone um, gets to watch some of his movies like Buried with Ryan Reynolds, The Sea of Trees. Did I say that right? Yep. Okay, good. Thank you. Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey, Naomi Watts, The Desperate Hour with Naomi Watts. There's a lot of good stuff. Um, There's some on Netflix that you can watch. They're scary though. Yeah, Sasha doesn't like scary movies. Scary, scary. (laughs) We talk about that too. Uh, So everybody, you know... um, Stop whatever movie you're currently watching um, <laughs> and listen to us talk about movies instead. And then watch the movie we talk about. And then watch that movie, uh, which, uh, you know, we said it will have already come out. But once one more time, uh, The Desperate Hour starring Naomi Watts. Uh, it did release on February 25th, uh, video on demand and in theaters. So maybe go uh, find a theater showing it. Go check it out. Or if you can find a place online that you can, uh, you know, rent it. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't steal it. Just rent it. <laughs> That's where you were yeah. going with you can that. Find a place online. No, the like video on demand <laughs> stuff will be out there as well. So I'm assuming that means like uh, Apple, iTunes, things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, enjoy that movie, but first enjoy this podcast. Yeah, have fun, guys. Have fun. That's really cool. Um, so are we on? We're ready? Maybe. Oh, yay. Okay, cool. So obviously, hi, Chris. It's nice hi. to have you here. Thank you. Um, I, first of all, I get like a little, um, anyone who's, who is a fan of the show and listens knows that I get like a little like fangirly. So, so anyone who does anything that's like really cool or like, you know, big things, I get very excited and gushy over. So don't mind me over here just like 
being so happy and pleased with this whole conversation. Um, but so obviously, like you are a screenwriter, um, you've directed, you've produced, but you came from Little Rhode Island. Uh, and and still here. And you're still here. And still here. And yeah. you're still here. But let's start from the beginning. So you're from Providence. Yes. Wikipedia got that right. Thank you. Yeah. Providence and North Providence. Providence yeah. and North yeah. Providence. Um, did you? Do your family still live there? Uh, some of yeah. Mm. Okay, cool. Yep. What was so I know through via research. Um, I know that you went to Roger Williams. Mm -hmm. If you don't mind, it, it can be as short or as little detail as you want. How did you get from Providence, North Providence, to going to school? Being a pioneer for Netflix. <laughs> that was a big jump. <laughs> I like I like the title Pioneer for Netflix. Listen, yeah, it's I, not I imagine myself my in like a like a covered wagon. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Um all right, so I'll do it as fast as I can. Um so I started uh acting my senior year of high school and I was like, hey, I really like this. Uh and I was definitely that kid. Like I wanted to do it, mm -hmm. but I was too caught up in like high school bullshit of like, well cool kids aren't doing that. And I consider myself one of the cool kids. Yeah, so I yeah. can do that. I want to stick to playing sports. Yeah. I was in chorus. So right. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I had the same battles in my head. <laughs> so then finally there was a play that came through that everyone, it was open to everyone, not just the drama club. And I did it and I got the lead role and I was like, I, I really like doing this. I want to keep doing this. And um, so I did. And then I went uh, I went to college. Uh, I was at Northeastern for a year and I found just like I was taking acting classes in Boston and everything else. Then I met up with a group of people here in Rhode Island that uh, it was an acting class that everyone was like, we're going to all move to LA and we're going to try our hand out there. And so I left college midway through, went out. I was 20 years old and, uh, you know, it was tough, man. I mean, it's like two years of doing the struggling actor slash waiter slash you know, I was taking acting classes. I was trying to keep up with college. So I was taking like one-off classes here and there. And after two years, I was like, look, I'm just trying to, I'm spreading myself too thin. So I'm going to just go back to Rhode Island, go home, finish college, and then kind of reassess. And that's what I did. So I moved back home. That's where I re-enrolled at uh, Roger Williams. For something that has nothing to do with Nothing that. to do with it. Right, right. Yeah. I, I, criminal justice. And so. Well. We could have been on law and order. Yeah, but I was going to say criminal justice and like now knowing the type of movies, like it is, does kind of all feel encompassing yeah, a little bit, right? Like a it's little. A little. I mean, it's a stretch. I'm still, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll try to do a, a, a like a police based TV show and it'll finally yeah. justify all the yeah, money I spent yeah. on my <laughs> education. Um, but anyway, so I came back home uh, with the goal of, all right, let me finish and then I'll move back out to LA which is what I did and then drove back cross country and arrived the night before September 11th. Oh and boy. I was like, okay. So I was there for four months and there was nothing going on. Mm -hmm. So I just, uh, I packed up again, came back home to Rhode Island, uh, just started working normal, regular jobs and, uh, put a little money aside. And then I made a film that, I mean, I had no business by this point. I'd started writing because I should say I, I focused first on acting and, yeah. And I started writing somewhere in that point. And uh, I, I just was too stupid to know any better to say, like, you are in no position to make a movie. You don't know how to. Mm -hmm. uh, but I did. And uh, it was, you know, look, it was what it was. I mean, I didn't go to film school. I, did, I had no idea how to make a movie. So it was on par with what most kids would make in college. Yeah. I mean, and nowadays kids in college are probably making things a hundred yeah. times better than what <laughs> on, on their iPhone. iPhone. I was on their iPhone. On their iPhone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, but it was enough to get me started. It was enough to kind of like kind of inch open a few doors. Um, you know, and I just kept at it, just kept writing, kept writing, kept writing until finally I wrote a script called Buried, 
uh, that uh, I was intending to make myself for basically no money. And uh, it uh, it just instead kind of opened a whole bunch of doors for me and it became a movie, much bigger movie. That a lot of people saw. <laughs> yeah, 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 with Ryan Reynolds. And, you know, like, is that Sundance? And it, I was going to say, like, yeah. a worldwide sort of movie that, like, yeah. a lot of people liked and saw. That was it. I mean, it's the sort of thing, you know, when people talk about overnight successes, is that it is true. It's a cliche, but it's true. It's like, it's usually about 10 years in the making. And that yeah. truly mm-hmm. was the case for me. Mm. Yeah, there's no there's no overnight success. No. It sounds like an overnight success. There's 10 years that went into making that overnight yeah. success happen. No one knows about the 10 years, though. Yeah, Everyone exactly. just no. is like, oh, my God, you woke up and now you're successful. And it's like, yeah, yeah I did a lot of blood, sweat and tears to get to right. this point. Yeah. And actually, like knowing that movie, uh, it doesn't surprise me that you wrote it with the intention of doing it yourself as a low budget film because it's pretty much one location. Mm. Oh, the yeah. Whole, right. All beside aside from what the opening scene is there an opening no scene? there's no, never, the whole thing, the whole is, thing. Yeah. the reason is so the movie i did do the first one i mean again because i didn't know what the hell i was doing i had all these locations i had so many actors in the mm-hmm. movie i mean it, it's I, I mean the budget i had was almost nothing mm-hmm. it, it did not justify you know that that yeah. much stuff so the lesson learned naturally is i need to go the total opposite direction you went the extreme the extreme yes, yeah very extreme one actor one location mm-hmm. yeah it kind of reminded me of um like now that i'm thinking about it what was that movie uh uh i mean not the movie plot structure but the way like the whole thing takes telephone place in booth? one place yeah phone yeah, phone booth. Booth, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. i don't know why it because it's all kind of just in that one spot yeah. the main characters in that phone booth like the entire right. movie uh i thought there's some there's merit to that like especially if you can make a good movie mm-hmm. out of essentially never changing location like yeah. that's uh, some pride to put on and all on its own i think it became kind of a calling card for me you know which is you know i think early on in your career is a good thing to kind of have the thing you're known for mm-hmm. uh, over time though it can become a bit of an albatross where mm-hmm. that you know you get no pun intended you get put into that box <laughs> and it's tough to get out <laughs> yeah. and it seems like you kind of have the uh like it also set up a little bit of the um your movies don't have the uh ending that people expect them to have uh yeah not to give away too much but yeah sometimes yes. you know it depends though it, i mean there there's certainly where people will just with respect to buried there's certainly where people were people who had different ideas mm-hmm. yeah about how it should end or even to say if the movie should play out the way it does but yeah you know um, but I like the way it ends. I think I do too. I, I mean, it's, it's like quote unquote disappointing, but sure. like, <laughs> I think that's a good thing. It's more realistic. Yeah. I, I 100% agree. Well, yeah. and there's like, a, I feel like uh, there's like a twist, which you're not expecting. Like, cause I mean, honestly, I mean, Barry did come out in what, like 2010? 2010. Okay. Yeah. So like, think, if you I haven't seen the movie, far enough along. yeah, like if you haven't that's seen true. the movie, it's right. your fault. It's, yeah. So <laughs> I'm just going to say like the, when I haven't seen the whole movie, but I've seen clips and I've read the whole thing. And the fact that the the FBI guy was like, oh, yeah, this other guy was buried alive and he's alive and he's home and he's happy. And then you're like, wait, crap. No, he's not. Like, this is the lie. This is not going to end well. It's kind of like one of those, you know, one of those moments that's what was that movie? Um, I see dead people like you're not expecting Bruce Willis to be the ghost. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait. Ryan Reynolds does not well, have is, a happy ending. So that's like an awesome transition because you wrote something for or with M. Night Shyamalan. Is that right? I did. Yeah. Yes. It never ended up getting made. So Knight did a thing with uh, like, I'm like, you guys, Knight. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, please do that so, all the time. Well, I mean, it's like. <laughs> this I, is my dream. <laughs> I mean, I spent a lot of time with the guy. So to call him M. Knight is weird. Yeah. Excuse yeah, me, yeah. M. Knight? Yeah. yeah. M. Knight. It's a weird. So uh, 
yeah, so he was doing this thing called the Night Chronicles, which were three films that were based on his original ideas that he was not going to write or direct, but he was going to produce. Mm -hmm. So, and he was going to bring on a writer and bring on a director to do. So the first one was a movie called Devil, which did come out. Yep. Oh, yeah. So that one came out and then they brought me in to do the second one, to write the second one, which was called Reincarnate. Uh, and I just, I don't know. I mean, the movie, the script turned out fine. The prod, mm. every, it just, they just never made it. Never I, moved yeah. The devil's the one that was in the elevator, right? In, ele in yes. an elevator, oh, yeah. Boy. I've seen that one too. All these movies just like are right <laughs> up my alley. I just like can't wait to watch <laughs> movies about elevators and devils. But it just like, uh, when I saw that in your, like, uh, I want to say it was like the Wikipedia page or something that kind of listed everything off and it listed that one, even though it didn't come out. Uh, it didn't necessarily surprise me after seeing some of your movies because, you know, obviously M. Night's thing is twist endings. Mm. Yeah. Like, that is what he is known for. And while not all of yours seem to have a quote unquote twist ending, they don't, it seems like you typically don't give the ending that like people are expecting. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like right. the first season of um, Game of Thrones and N Ned Stark dies. And he was like the main character and everybody's like, what the hell just happened? Mm -hmm. I like that a lot because it's more realistic in my opinion. Well, even in like um, Sea of Trees, even though that's not like a traditional, I wouldn't call that like a scary movie. Obviously, it's mm -hmm. dark and it has like some, you know, what's the what's like ominous to it. It's not like a scary movie, but even that has like sort of a twist sort of thing at the end where you're like when he says the names of the his wife and his daughter, the, mm -hmm. the color and the season. And you're like, wait, 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 hold on. Like this ties back to here. Like how did this come full? And first of all, I am not the type of person that could start a project and like place little crumbs. So the fact that you can like, well, and this is going to bring me to a question. What is your writing process like? Because even just talking about the twists in Buried or the Sea of Trees or the mercy. mercy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like how do, is it, do you start with the twist and work your way back? Do you, like, how does that work? No, I mean, cause not every movie I do has a twist, yeah. you know? So it's, it's, you know, you were talking before about the breadcrumbs that are placed, mm. uh, you know, that's basically movies are, you know, are a series of setups and payoffs really is yeah. that, you know, you have Danny LaRusso learning, seeing Mr. Miyagi going, well, what was that kick you were doing? Mm. Right. That crane. And then at the end, he's going to use it. Like, everything yeah, yeah. is you set it up and you pay it off. And you do it in bigger ways like that, and you do it in smaller ways too. And, and you know, sometimes an audience picks up on that. Sometimes they just appreciate it almost subconsciously mm -hmm. with certain things. So it's not as though that's how I start. I don't yeah. say like, what are the different setups and payoffs as much as I, I don't know. It depends project by project. Sometimes it's about just have a, I mean, we all do. Anyone even listening to this, everybody has a good idea for a movie. Yeah. You know, like what if you just play the what if game? Like, oh my God, yeah. what if, what if I was walking down the street right now and aliens came and landed <laughs> right on, right in front of me, yep. right? Whatever it is. Now, the tough part about movie making and sometimes, you know, back in the days when we used to actually go to parties, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, cause I mean, I get it. I'm cause, it, cause of what I do and everyone's always, oh, I have an awesome idea for a movie. And it's like, cool. What is it? You know, yeah. it's just curious. Just tell yeah. me um, if you want to. Uh, you know, what people generally have is a good idea for act one, Yeah. Oh. you know, the setup. But mm -hmm. the, the thing that makes a movie a movie is that it, that idea has to continue, has to carry, you know, especially yeah. act late in act two, where mm -hmm. you're like, mm -hmm. this thing still has to have legs. So I think to your, to your question, you know, once I'm done playing that game of like, what if, and trying, workshopping this idea, that idea in my head. I have to know that it has those legs. Yeah. 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 You don't want to end up with the, uh, you know, season finale of Sopranos where it just fades to black. Right. Whoa, <laughs> that might have been one of the best finales of all time. Oh my I God. It's like the most, debate. it's like the most hated finale. I feel like it's, it's hate. I, but I feel, I feel like but I've that heard was, both So sides. the reason that people 
a lot of people disliked it is because it didn't feel like there was a payoff in the end. It just kind of sometimes ended. that's the way life works, baby. But they, yeah, exactly. So that's that especially is in like things. an Italian mafia thing. Like, <laughs> I mean, do you really want to know what happens to this guy? I mean, obviously I do. I always want to know what happens. Yeah. Um, but you just brought up um, Mr. Miyagi, and I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Cobra Kai. Um, so. And this is going to be a long-winded way to ask a next question, but <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> I will get there, but of course, I have to shout out Cobra Kai because I love Cobra Kai. Um, but do you? I mean, obviously, you started off acting as a in high school, and that kind of brought you here. Do you have like filmmakers, TV shows, movies that you liked when you were younger? Now that inspire you, that you feel like get your motivations going, sort of. Thing. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Knight, that's why it was so great to work with the guy because he was a huge, huge influence on mm. me. Uh, I still think he's one of the greatest of our generation. And then, I mean, nowadays, anything Christopher Nolan makes, I'll watch because mm. uh, they're just always so technically perfect and so smart yeah. and everything else. And uh, But I would say for me, I'm kind of, you know, growing up, I liked like every movie that kids my age did, you know, yeah. it was like 80s, 90s movies, right? Mm -hmm. So... And it wasn't until really that I was, I, so I told you I was uh, just after, when was this, right after high school, I, I remember taking a class and I can, again, it wasn't part of my major. Just, I just, I took an analyzing film class mm. and we had to watch a bunch of films from like John Wayne's The Quiet Man, the Quiet Man to down, down, films I normally would not watch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching The Graduate and mm. I was blown away. I was like, I'd never seen a movie like that. That mm -hmm. just, and you talked about endings and non-traditional endings yep. and maybe even not so happy endings. To see the look on their faces at the end of this movie, which was so real because it's like, wow, you just did this amazing thing. You know, you just, you know, you're banging on the glass, you know, Elaine, Elaine, yeah. you know, you broke up the wedding. It's that big cinematic <laughs> moment, right? Yep. And we've seen stuff like that in movies all the time, but yet we then see the aftermath. You got, you ran out of the church, you get on the bus and it starts to dawn on them of like, okay, but now what? Now what? Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. We're we're in our early 20s. Mm -hmm. We just basically ostracize ourselves from our respective, from your family at least, right? Yeah. We're alone. We have not. And so now what do we do? And it's mm. not going to, and you see it dawning on them. It's like, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. And was that the right choice? What we just did. Mm -hmm. And just the whole movie to me just cracked open my world as a, at that time, wannabe storyteller. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of, especially during, and you can definitely correct me if I'm wrong because you have way more knowledge of this than I do. Uh, but especially during like, <laughs> during like the eight, probably late 80s, early 90s, maybe mid 90s, um, there was kind of an era of cinema where like you had, you know, you break out random films, but there was a lot of like um, almost like templated movies. The John Hughes it was movie. like, it was just a lot of like you had your romantic comedy, yeah. you had your comedy, you had your horror, and they all had like, relatively straightforward plots you know uh zany guy and uh you know buttoned up girl meet and do this thing or whatever <laughs> and like they had this kind of general uh outline that most movies followed different actors slightly different plot lines uh but it was basically the same movie being made mm -hmm. um with really bad special effects <laughs> uh, and but then you kind of hit a point where um that diverged a little bit and mm -hmm. you got more and more movies coming out that were just completely different. Uh, and then I think we also have kind of come full circle. And now we're in the era of like, let's make sequels or remake old movies, which drives yeah. me nuts. But <laughs> that's besides the point. <laughs> but it, something like that movie that you had to watch for school or that you watched in school 
um, the fact that it struck you so hard mm. uh, was probably a product of that time period where there weren't that many movies doing that. Mm -hmm. and yeah, whereas, with the happy ending and like driving off in the car like, Woo! Yeah, and then it was done. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah, felt I mean, real. When obviously the movie had been out, I mean, that was made in the 60s. Yeah. You know, so it, it was an old movie, even in like, I guess the 90s when I was watching mm. it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but you're right. I mean, Mike Nichols and filmmakers of that time, that spoke to that era. I think, you know, there was a counterculture and everything else. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, we what you were talking earlier, well, earlier being like, I don't know, a minute and a half ago, <laughs> about <laughs> about, you know, <laughs> the formulaic movies of the 80s and 90s and that kind of what gave us movies like Pulp Fiction, mm. yeah. you know, in reaction to where mm -hmm. it's like all of a sudden you had this new crop of filmmakers, indie filmmakers like Ed Burns and Kevin Smith and Robert Rodriguez, mm -hmm. guys that came along and were like, we're going to do something totally, totally different. Yeah. Yeah. And they and in a way they reinvented the industry. And quite frankly, you know, the industry is again under reinvention if you will you know oh, because definitely. of what you said largely is that so much of so much of hollywood if you want to call it that uh because that's not even an accurate portrayal i'll get to that in a second um <laughs> is it's so much it's intellectual property it's ip based so it's mm -hmm. like like you said rebooting something or taking uh you know adapting a book or adapting a graphic novel or something that there's a pre-awareness built in not taking knowledge. a risk on it not taking risk hedging yeah. your bets yes well i think too what's crazy just talking about like how things have changed so much not even just with how m movies are made but how they're consumed now mm -hmm. like you're like buried for instance that is a movie that came out what 11 12 years yeah. i don't even know what year it is who knows <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that came out 11 and i still remember like i remember sitting in a movie theater hearing like a like a knock and all of a sudden it was like buried with ryan reynolds like i remember that if you ask me like a movie trailer that i right. remember now i'm yeah. like i have no idea like i don't remember yeah, anything well they're all just like quick smash cuts in that that blaring horn uh. right <laughs> yeah yeah and, and it's just because we're consuming so much so quickly so rapidly you know, you can watch, I, I watched a brand new Marvel movie on my couch where before you couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. You had to mm -hmm. wait, you know, you had to see it in theaters. If you missed it in theaters, you had to wait a year or six months or whatever for it to come out. You had to go to Blockbuster or go to Redbox or buy it on demand. And now it's like you can get them anywhere. Yeah. So it's like, you know. Well, and then COVID took that like 10 steps right. further. Yeah. Right, right. So it's it, it must be tricky as well. And I know I, I'm assuming what you were going to say, like in Hollywood, we'll get to that later, is the movie that you're now um well, and it's already made, but the movie that you just recently made, even though it's a Hollywood movie, you made it while you're in Rhode Island because mm -hmm. of COVID. Yeah. So like not only is the way people consume films, people make films, it's all different. And it, it's like you have to keep up. Like it's like you need to do like you were saying with um sequels and reboots and stuff. It's like people liked this 10 years ago. If we make it better yeah. and make it flashier and make it more explosive, like they're going to like it again because there's just so many things. They're just drawing on nostalgia now for a lot of stuff. Yeah, because yeah. there's just like not a lot to like, you know, keep your brain moving. They took a stab at remaking Ghostbusters twice in the past five mm -hmm. years. Okay, so. that remake of <laughs> Ghostbusters was awesome. I don't care what anyone says. I want to see the new. I haven't, I actually was debating watching the new one and I haven't seen it yet. Neither it's, have I. it's on streaming now. So and Jason like, oh, Lee's and I love him. Don't cross the streams. No, not yeah, Jason. Don't cross the Paul streams. Paul Rudd. I yeah, said Jason no, Lee. Paul, Paul Rudd's Rudd. great. I'm sorry. Paul Rudd's my boyfriend. Uh, which so actually sorry. kind of brings me back. So we we diverged there for a minute, but tangent. Yeah, this is what <laughs> this is what we do on the show. Um, going back to so was buried was your first like commercial success yes. movie. Yes. Um, how uh, 
I don't know if I'm going to ask this question properly, but how involved were you in the production of it? Uh, where did you like end up on set at all? Yeah. Uh, because I know sometimes they have the writer on set if they have to ask them questions or mm-hmm. what have you. Especially with and something then, that's like that that's so specific. Yeah. Right. Like and that's... then like like how I, mean, I don't want to say weird, but like yeah, maybe weird. Was it for you to have like to actually be working with like Ryan Reynolds? <laughs> you know what I mean? That has to be it. Has to be a little bit of a trip. He wasn't as big then as he is now, but right. he was pretty big. Yeah. 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 And um, that movie must have had like a decent budget, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, even considering how small the movie physically yeah. is, yeah, it, it's because I mean, if nothing else, you have to pay him. Yeah. So <laughs> yes, true. Uh, Where's the budget? Oh, it's right. Ryan. <laughs> and it's shot in, believe it or not, it's shot in Spain. It could have shot in this room. Oh for wow. Sakes, but, yeah. Um, so yes, I did go out. I was on set. Uh, you know, I've been pretty lucky. I mean, there, there, it is pretty common, or it is. I think TV has changed this because in TV, a writer is king essentially, mm. and. Uh, and film, it tends to be considered, you know, the the auteur theory, you know, the director is, yeah. you know, and so sometimes directors really don't want a writer on set. Mm. Yeah. You're going to interfere with their vision. Right, yeah. right. And, and so I've been pretty lucky on my projects and, you know, in, that I've been involved on, in, you know, being on set on production. I'm sorry, during the production. But then, you know, as I've gotten more into producing, you know, that kind of ensures that I'm involved in mm-hmm. the decision making. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's. Yeah, I mean, it was it was surreal to see it. You know, people ask that a lot. Is it weird to see? Is it crazy to see someone saying your words? Not that's not so weird. Like when you're watching a movie, go why? I remember when I wrote that and whatever, and you know, I was in my yeah. pajamas. Yeah, I'm like you know now. <laughs> yeah. So like, so uh, it, it, I think it's more when people when you see like I don't know uh, like like articles or something about mm. the movie or now yeah. it is especially because like people are on the internet is what. All we do on the internet is just yeah. fight each other. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you see people, <laughs> for example, the best example I can give you is so before Greenland came out, uh, a movie that I wrote, it there was I, there was this thing like where someone was saying the movie was part of a, a like a giant conspiracy. Oh <laughs> <laughs> Those are my favorite. Yeah, that it was like it was it was kind of foretelling. It was getting us ready. Like this was the government's way of oh getting us ready for a mass casualty event. And I'm like. Uh, not really, dude. No. I kind of wrote that. And you're like, that. news to me. Yeah, news to me. Like, <laughs> like surprise, I surprise. Yeah. <laughs> like, did they forget to call me about this conspiracy that I'm right. part of? Like, what the heck? Uh, that's so, funny. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's the stuff that's surreal. Yeah. Um, I just, I guess I, my thing was like, um, because you had done that wasn't your you had done a couple like independent things before buried, yeah, correct? Right. So you'd worked with actors and like you'd sure. had had some things made. Uh, and then I guess is it weird. Or how does it feel to have like a known commodity involved in a movie? Mm. Like, does is there like kind of a sense more of a sense of accomplishment in that? Like, Are you more oh, okay, nervous? I hit like another la- step on the ladder there. Or you know what it is? It's 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 for yourself, and then you can't help it too. I mean, because it is partly how people react to the things mm. that you're doing. It's yeah. tough to it's tough to play the game of like because the first question someone asks, "Oh, you're doing a movie? Who's in it?" Yeah, right? and that's understandable because that's a big part of why you're going to watch it or not. Mm. So. It's kind of tough to play the game when you're an indie filmmaker coming up and you're like, well, you know, do you know so-and-so? And they're like, no. And you're <laughs> like, well, did you ever see the show? Did this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it, is it that? Per- no, it's not that actor. It's the one who was in episode four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, I, it just makes you, you start to kind of sweat because you're going, oh, my God. I feel like, you know, I thought I was I had accomplished something here. Now I feel like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you shouldn't, quite yeah. honestly, because no, you did accomplish you something. You got something done. You got something done. But it's... um. Yeah, so I mean, it's it definitely makes you feel like you've leveled up a bit, and it gives you the confidence that maybe you can make a career out of it. Well, I guess it's 
not just the person that's involved, but it's the fact that the people who decided to pick it up and back it are yeah. confident enough in it to spend the money on that person mm. because they yeah. believe in what you wrote. Yeah. It feels like it would mean more to me that like even just the studio itself is like, yeah, we'll throw some money at a big actor because this is a great script. Well, and well, and I could be totally off with my timing, but I feel like that movie was actually a, kind of a big deal for Ryan Reynolds, too, because I feel yeah. like at the time he was like in waiting. That was like that restaurant movie mm-hmm. that like, I love that movie. I mean, I people who I was so. going to say people <laughs> who worked in the restaurant business loved that movie. I don't know if anyone else. It was did. probably a little too accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, way. you know, he hadn't been in like a really he was in like Jess Friends where he played like the silly best friend. Right. And it feels like that movie was kind of like a jumping off point for him, too, because it was a serious role. Mm-hmm. He was the only actor. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, that was a big deal for you but i'm assuming that was probably a huge deal for him too it was like he he had just the, the movie that really propelled him in addition in addition to maybe buried to some extent was the proposal and that had yeah. just come mm-hmm. out actually so he had some you know we'll just say bigger name yeah. recognition by the time buried then came out yeah so but it even, helped but even and, still, and it's a different kind of totally movie. i was gonna yeah. say like buried it's more is of an serious movie. yeah because yes. <laughs> like yeah. you see the proposal and you're not like oh that guy could play like deadpool like you're like oh that's like a handsome romantic funny right. guy and then you see him do that and then you know kind of a huge shift and you see something like buried where it's so serious you're like okay i can see him like doing something yeah. mm-hmm. actiony or something it's more probably serious. good for him uh, at the same time that they both came out close to one another to avoid like getting typecasted yeah. into the rom-com because you know yep. you have two things that are very different come out close to each other and it keeps you from getting right shoehorned you know well i mean just as like a full circle moment uh nick and i love them because uh sea of trees has matthew mcconaughey and right. i actually just read this article about matthew mcconaughey where he stopped taking movies for romantic comedies because he was getting like so typecast yep. in these like oh he's like this charming guy he's like he works in an ad agency he's so handsome and he's gonna like change his ways to be with this girl and he was like i'm not doing that anymore like i'm only gonna be in serious movies and since he's done that he's seen like such success so i mean th- that really has nothing to do with this but it's like well, then, and that's uh, so I know we're like way off. <laughs> we have a guest here who we're not talking about, right? <laughs> but that's kind of like way off of uh, what he was doing. That kind of idea, mm-hmm. and the thing that, and obviously, I always knew who Matthew McConaughey was, and he's been around forever. But the thing that made me say like, "Oh, this guy is awesome," was the first season of True Detective. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, that was, was a incredible, really good show. and mm-hmm. it was. That was because in my head, he was a romantic comedy guy. Yeah. And no one knew that he could really act. Like no one knew he had these chops of like, you know, even in um, Dallas Buyers Club or like Interstellar, like all those movies, you're like, oh, shoot, like this guy's awesome. Mm -hmm. So bringing it back around, we kind of, this is again, the tangent uh, police here. (laughs) Um, So after Buried, uh, what was like kind of next steps from there? Um, After Buried, I... Probably too quickly. You know, like a band when they have maybe a breakout song or yeah, whatever, yeah, they, yeah. Or they, they rush into their second album too yeah, fast. Yeah. I did that with a movie called ATM. Okay. And it got it made quickly. Again, which isn't the worst thing in the world, but the movie didn't turn out well. And mm. I and I shoulder a lot of the blame for that. Um, so we'll kind of park that one there and leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, Everybody has missteps. Yeah, everyone has missteps. And then, you know, what part of, you know, as a writer, you know, you're, you're kind of... Um, I always kind of equate it to being like a home builder because mm-hmm. as a home builder, sometimes you build houses on spec where you, know, you put the time, money, and effort into building a house mm-hmm. and hope that you'll sell it for profit, right? You do that as a writer. You write scripts on spec. Um, but you also get hired to do 
mm. you know, to build things and, you know, big and small and do renovations. So a lot mm -hmm. of, you know, a lot of during that time, I was hired to do some rewriting and everything else. Mm -hmm. uh, then I did the thing for night somewhere in there. And then I did, um, then I did Sea of Trees. Uh, then probably forgetting some things in between. <laughs> Didn't. Don't worry, we won't yeah, check you. <laughs> yeah, uh, just kept working. You know, yeah. I just yeah, like yeah. that's the thing is work begets work. You know, you just have to stay busy. In yeah. in your time, you know, obviously this where this is a, a tiny conversation in the scope of your career and your work mm -hmm. and your life. But throughout the last, you know, ten from you know starting in independent films to now, you know, like I love lovingly say, a pioneer of Netflix. <laughs> is there a specific role? Obviously, I know screenwriting is probably like your base, but have you realized that producing is something that you have more passion for or are you level for all of them? No, I, I, for me, a big part of say what I want to be doing in the next five, 10 years is, is more directing. I've only oh. directed, you know, two, I, you know, three plus movies, but mm. I, you know, I kind of focus on the two that I did because those are done with, you know, kind of the resources you need to make a movie. Mm -hmm. And, um, and there's a difference. I mean, the first movie movies I did, so pre buried, you know, you, that's the thing is you go from when you're in like a kind of struggling filmmaker is that there's the change you hope for, which is you go from you are the person coming up with the money yeah. versus you are now pers a person being paid mm -hmm. to do it. You know, like that's the major difference. And that's when I guess you could say you become a professional yeah, because it's how you make your living. Um, sorry, to your to your actual question. Yeah. I mean, I haven't directed something since a, a movie I did for Netflix called Mercy. And that came out in like 2015 or 16. Okay. Mm -hmm. So... You know, it's again, the past two years have been what they've been, mm. um, you know, so I've been actively trying to figure out what my next directing project is going to be. But it's tough. I mean, again, it's, you know, you were talking before about, um, you know, a, a studio or financier's willingness to kind of say, like, we trust you enough to go make this movie. Mm -hmm. It's one thing if you write a script. I mean, at the end of the day, the script is the script. Yeah. You can write it. I can write it. You can write it. it as long as the script is good. Mm. It's, I'm not, not going to say it doesn't matter. But there's not too, too much value outside of the like inside baseball of it all. Yeah. <clears throat> within the industry to say, oh, I have a script by so-and-so. That matters within the industry. Mm -hmm. To everyone going to the movies, it really doesn't matter. Let's be honest. Unless you say like Aaron Sorkin wrote it. Mm -hmm. Like then the audience might be like, oh yeah, I know Aaron Sor Sorkin. I'll go see that movie. But so what I'm getting at is the one that the, it's the director is the one that people have to really feel yeah. confident in. Mm -hmm. And it's tough, man. If you, you know, like my, the movie I just mentioned, Mercy, you know, if, it's not that I got put in quote unquote director jail, you know, where it's like, if you make a really, really bad movie, it's tough to then go get another movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but it didn't set the world on fire. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's tough to then be like, to justify how, you, so I mean, it's been a struggle, even with the successes I've had as a writer yeah. and as a producer. And there's also too, like uh, talking about, you know, so before we started recording, we were talking about mercy. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause I watched that last night. Um, and, there's certain things where uh, even prior to that conversation, I would have brought this up where I'll watch movies because I watch a ton of movies and I overanalyze things like crazy. <laughs> it's just the way I live my life. Uh, and there's certain movies where I'll be watching it and it feels like so you can have a really good script. You can have a really good director and the whole thing could be ruined by the edit. Sure. Like you mm -hmm. could take a movie that's mediocre give all the raw footage to a new editor mm -hmm. and get a incredible movie out of it. Well, mm -hmm. again, as we were talking about before we started recording, we were talking about the movie, the strangers. 
Mm-hmm. Now, don't quote me on this. This might not be entirely true, but it seems to be the story that's been going around for years is that that movie, The Strangers, when it first tested with audience because you screen test a movie, mm-hmm. it did not score well at all. And then they went back and re-edited the whole film, I think, with a new editorial team. Yeah. And then it did Gangbusters. Wow. And yeah. You know, and it's a great movie. Yeah, because you can completely either make or break or like you can ruin the storylines in an edit. Sure. You can uh, put one wrong scene out of order and all of a sudden the whole movie makes no sense. I mean, it could be, it's it's really even a game of inches sometimes. I, mm-hmm. I recently heard Sasha Baron Cohen maybe on a podcast talking about, I think it was Borat. Mm-hmm. And again, during the screen tests, they were like, he was like, oh, it's just not working. Like, why is that gag, that joke just yeah. not? And they went back in the edit and I think they took out like two frames. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden and it, it worked. made all the difference in the world. Especially yeah. in comedy. You yeah. Need to yeah, listen yeah. to like a, a um, stand-up comic talk about it. And like timing is everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you can do the same joke and time your punchline just oh so slightly differently. Take two words out of it and it kills versus just right. crickets, you know? That's it. Well, and like not, I mean, editing obviously is such a huge component, but like you were saying, Nick, like you pick up on every little thing about a movie, like something as simple as like a score or a, or like that can mess up. A, like everything has to be so like specific. And I, I'm, I'm going to say that I'm very um, ignorant to the, the industry because I don't know if like do the direct, does the director pick all those things? Do, do like, does it, does it a yeah, team largely. that picks all that stuff or? The- you know, the director, I guess you could, again, me trying to draw analogies here. You know, if you, when a movie wins best picture, let's just say, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the director that wins the awards, the producers, mm-hmm. you know, producer uh, or producers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they are the ones that are producing the movie. So they are the ones that are, you know, putting all of the disparate pieces together. Mm. Right? I would say that's the position that most people don't understand. Producers. I don't think most producers understand. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Seems like I'm a speaking heart. as a producer, I'm telling you that. Uh, so, I mean, again, I was trying to come up with an analogy. Maybe, maybe, maybe a restaurant where you have someone, like maybe the director is the, you know, the chef. Mm. They're like the creative vision of everything. Okay. And everyone's doing their best to kind of like service that vision. Yeah. And maybe you're, maybe the producer is the owner or the the manager. I yep. don't know. Yeah. Yep. I'm trying yep. to, yep. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes but a lot it's of sense. Also, it seems like there's certain things where like, and this is probably just the same in any industry for anything, but they're different projects. Different people have mm. different amounts of control. Cause it's like, yeah. um, uh, what's the movie? Um, uh, baby driver. Who's that? Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Yeah. So that movie feels like if he's not in the driver's seat for all of it, mm-hmm. it doesn't work because mm-hmm. there's the, the cut. So the whole movie lines up to the soundtrack down to like when they put their cups down, it's on beat. And like the whole, the whole thing has to be perfect. Yeah. So he has to have all the the shots lined up and the soundtrack lined up and the cuts lined up Mm -hmm. and it all has to work. So I feel like in that case, the director has to have like complete control over all of it. Right. Which is very, very rare nowadays. I mean, there's something called final cut Mm. and I've only been associated with one of my films where the director has had final cut. Mm -hmm. And that means they do get the final words. Not to say people can't weigh in and really push them one way or the other. But you get the veto. It's them. It's up to them. And that's very, very rare nowadays. Maybe Scorsese still has it. Mm. Um, But really most directors don't. But again, Quentin Tarantino, I'm sure he does, you know? (laughs) And so, but like, but again, other directors that they just really, everybody counts and, and, and uh, gives a lot of credence to their creative vision. So Mm -hmm. they will listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. It depends on who the person is. How much of, uh, and I know I'm just taking all the questions because this is super interesting to me, but (laughs) how much, uh, I know you're getting into, uh, or you said you want to get more into directing. Mm -hmm. 
I, how much of that preparation for like looking for great, great, you want to find the right project, but sure. how much of that is like deeply educating yourself on things that you didn't know, like, uh, you know, lenses and cameras mm. and lighting and sound and like, no, cause you don't have to know them all perfectly, but you got to know them pretty damn well. You, you don't, <laughs> you, know? you definitely don't have to know them perfectly. There are people in each of those departments that do know them pretty mm. perfectly. Yeah. Um, uh, but you, yeah, it's all an education. That's why I'm saying like the first, the very, very first project I made, mm -hmm. I didn't have a clue like <laughs> about any of it. And, yeah. and in a way it was the best education I could have gotten because I had to learn mm -hmm. all of it. Mm. You know, everyone's job. Cause I was doing at some point or another, at least I think everybody's job at least mm. once. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I look at the first, I hate to use the word real movie, but we'll just say movie that had a real budget. Yeah. Uh, it was a movie called the Atticus Institute that I did. That was this kind of um, mockumentary uh, first movie I directed. It, that was like this, Half of it was were talking head interviews. The other half was, you know, was meant to be archival footage. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I learned to be on a more professional set, what that was like, what's mm -hmm. expected of me, what's expected of trying to make your days and everything else like that. And, and then jumping to mercy, it's like now all of a sudden it's a more, it's a very traditional narrative. Mm -hmm. There are a lot more moving parts, so yeah. it's a bigger production. And yeah, you kind of have to, you have to know, you have to be able to at least communicate what you're trying to get across. You might not know the exact vocabulary, mm -hmm. but you have to have enough of it. So yeah, it yeah. is about constantly trying to educate myself and, and learn more and learn more. Do you think with uh, kind of going into the directing lane more so, would you consider directing like television? Do you want to stay in movies? Again, with my ignorance towards the the industry, I don't know if that's if they're completely separate things, if there's specific TV directors versus movies, if they do a lot of crossover. Nowadays like, there's more crossover. It used yep. to be very separate. Yep. Okay. Um, nowadays it's yeah. I mean it's the high budget serial stuff. Sure. Is, is, yeah. I mean, a director nowadays is I mean part of the creative vision for a show. And that's yeah. why you'll see a lot of it when you're looking at the credits and you see an executive producer, all of a sudden you're like, oh, that director is an executive producer on that show. And they might've only just shot the pilot mm. episode, right? Yep. They might've only directed the pilot, but in doing so they created what the visual language of that show is going to, it's going to look like mm. every episode is going to kind of mirror the way that show was created. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I know like um, there's a show on HBO called Insecure. That's like one of my favorite shows and they just finished their last season and they did like a behind the scenes of like the pilot and getting there. And they were talking about, like with the directors, how cool it was because with a show, like each episode, even though obviously there's a complete show, you know the story, each episode can have like slightly different feel in mm -hmm. like the colors used or the soundtrack used or like the sort of mood of the of the the the, the scenes. So I, I, I feel like if I were I would never. That's not my wheelhouse, but <laughs> it feels like TV could be interesting because it's like every day could potentially be something different, right? Where mm -hmm. like a movie, you know, you're locked into this one. I guess maybe the payoff is probably better um, because you get to see like this, the end project is this like beautiful movie that from start to finish, it's your whole project, but it could be cool with TV. It's like one day you're, you know, on set with like a more funky, like funny vibe. And then the next it's like, Law and Order, and then the next it's, you know, American Horror Story. Like, it could always be something different. But again, that might not be, like, what people look for. They might want to stay in the same lane. I don't know. It's it Maybe, but there's definitely something to be said about the gratification, uh, the more instant gratification from mm. TV, where it's like you're going to make something, the speed of making it is going to be, there's no comparison between yeah. that and film. Um, so it's like you're going to make something, and pretty soon you're going to get to see it, mm -hmm. the finished product. Whereas mm -hmm. 
with film, it could be years. I mean, truly, yeah, you years, don't know, right? Or if it ever gets released. Even. Yep. Well, because you were but, saying too, like a big, a, 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 something that's really exciting um, for you and for us to talk about is your new movie coming to Netflix, um, the uh, Desperate Hour. Is that, did I say coming, that wrong? Yeah, no, you said it right. Oh, it's sorry. not coming to Netflix, though. Oh, it's not Netflix. No. Where is it? Uh, it's going to be... In theaters. On, in theaters okay, okay, and okay. on VOD. Sorry. Honestly, again, with all these streaming services like coming at you at a million miles per second, I can't ever keep them straight. So um apologize for that. But I know you started working on it and then COVID happened, mm-hmm. right? Like just random COVID. Right. Um, and you had to like completely pivot how to make the movie, how to film it, how to produce it, how to write it. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, I, what I did with that, that script was I kind of went back to the buried model where it's like one primary actor mm. that we're focusing on the whole movie. And, you know, because I want to, it's like, again, I was just getting through like how long it takes for a movie to come together. You know, I mentioned, I don't know if it was while we were recording or not, but I mentioned a movie I did called Intrusion for Netflix. Mm-hmm. That was like seven years in the making. Wow. It's just sometimes how it happens. Yeah. Um, if at all. Sometimes. And you would never know that, like just flipping through Netflix, clicking no, on that, you'd there. never know. Right. Yeah. And so, um, so I, I wanted to write something. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I want, like, I want to write something I'm pretty sure will be made. Mm. You know, so you get, you get antsy. And so, um. So I kind of went to that model. I went to the model of movie Lock as well with Tom mm. Hardy, which if you haven't seen, is a great, great movie. But again, one actor, one primary location and everything else. So I I wrote it and then, you know, COVID started. Yeah. Which I guess, I don't know how you describe that. So you, you wrote know. the ultimate social distancing movie before yes. you even knew that yes. COVID was going <laughs> to happen? A hundred percent. And that's My and God. a lot of people have asked like, oh, did you write that? Because there were movies made during the pandemic that people just were just feeling stifled yeah. creatively and said, I just want to go make something. You know, yeah. I think, I think, um, uh, uh Malcolm and Marie, yep. you know, I think that falls into that category of like, yep. let's just go make something. Mm-hmm. This was not something that I wrote as a result of COVID. It just yep. so happened to work. It's part of the conspiracy. Yes. Part of the conspiracy. <laughs> just it just, you know, the, my, I was, I produced the movie with a few other folks and it was like the wheels were already turning. Mm-hmm. And then when it became safe enough to do it, we were like, why, you know, the movie takes place outside. It's one actor pretty much. And, you know, we can do this with a skeleton crew. It was safe. Yeah. Yeah. Safe as you can make something like that at that time. So, you know, in a weird way though, too, is, and I feel, and I feel this way with Buried as well, is that, you know, the, the times factored into the movie getting made and Mm. maybe even getting made as fast as it did because, Buried, I first finished the script and everything else. It was like 2009, I think it was, oh, wow. toward the end of 2009. And that was when we were still in the throes of the economic crisis of 2008, right? Yep. So just like anything else, the movie business was contracting. People didn't have as much money on hand and yep. people weren't taking big chances. And here along, here comes this movie that you can make for very, very little money and you can attract someone like Ryan Reynolds to it and go yep. make it and it can actually turn a profit. So I think that helped. I yeah. think that helped Buried get made, but when it, came together. And similarly here, even though we were kind of in the in the lane of making the movie, I really think it hastened that process because mm-hmm. all of a sudden, here's a movie you can go make during yep. a pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one main actor. It's right. outside for the majority of the movie. Yeah. You can do it with a smaller crew than like, say, like a big, huge, like mob scene. Right. So it makes sense. And you were doing this all while in Rhode Island. Right. So I produced The Desperate Hour from my, my office at home. That's and so, so cool. So thankfully the technology exists and the same goes for intrusion too. That was over the course of 2021 or 2020. 
Um, Thankfully, you had a good internet connection. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the thing is, it's like the technology is there. I mean, it's not. It's, yeah. Never mind. Just like we have, we all have Zoom. We've been talking on Zoom. I mean, I was looking at a like a a, a picture perfect view of the of the monitor. So like wow. whatever the camera was seeing, is if you were there's whenever you're on set, there's something called Video Village. It's just mm -hmm. an area where all the monitors are, and you sit and you watch what the camera sees. Um, I was seeing it in real time. That's awesome because because the technology and so it was amazing to do it, but at the same time. If I'm being honest, it was, it, it, it kind of sucked too. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the fun. Like yeah. that's the, what the seven years of work is for. Mm -hmm. So you can finally get on set and go make the movie. You're like, and everyone gets excited and you're doing it. Yeah. Yep. You're coming together and it's kind of like this weird, like, um, feels like summer camp. In yeah. A way. Like, like a bunch yeah. of everyone is so excited about this one thing. There's like, oh my God, this is finally happening. And I, I would assume that during that, during normal air quotes, normal times, like when you're filming a movie, I would assume that like once the director says cut, like you guys, everyone gets to kind of chat about it. Right. Oh, like this is working. This isn't working. Like, oh, I love the way they did this. I love how this looks. When it's like done over Zoom, you don't feel like you have that sort of like freedom to just kind of like, for lack of a better term, shoot the shit. Like, no. it's like you need to, okay, these are my notes. Here's what's happening. Here's what I think here. Instead of being like, oh my God, you did a good job. Like, I liked how that looked. That was so cool. That was, it like took the, it takes like the funness, I would assume, yeah, out of it. Yeah, it does. And believe me, I, I, I'm not, this is not a woe is me, feel bad for, it's like, when it's like, dude, you, you know, you're lucky enough to be able to be yeah. home and make a movie. Let's not shed a tear for you, bro. <laughs> but um, relatively speaking, yeah. what I'm talking about, compared to what it normally is. Totally. Right? It just had this, this feeling of detachment where it could have yeah. not been real. It could yeah. have been a bunch of like fake images on the screen and I wouldn't know. Yeah. They're yeah. just feeding you something they know that you're going to yeah. like. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, don't worry yeah. about it. No, this is good. This is what it looks like. Yeah, but even still, like, I mean, I don't think, I think during the pandemic and everything, like, as you were saying, like, oh, I still got to make a movie. And that is really cool that you still got to make a movie. But it, there is, like, the reason why we as consumers love going to the movies and love, you know, seeing what's getting released at the movie theaters or on Netflix is because people like you take joy and have passion about it. So like, even though it's not like, woe is me, it's like, you're making things that we want to see to help us through the pandemic. So it's like, right. you know, that takes a part of it too. Like every, everything is, uh, what's it called? Um, like you have to have perspective about it. Like, yeah, like I still get to make a movie, but also like this is my like passion. This is my work and I want other people to love it. And if it, if a little sparkle gets taken out, like that sucks. Like that's regardless of if it's a big, huge movie or if you're, you know, just having a meeting on Zoom with Nick discussing magazines, like <laughs> it just takes the a course, little bit of the yeah, funness 100%. out. And it's, it's doesn't matter if it's big or small. Um, where did they- uh, was, Just really quick, I'm sorry. Uh, the Q-Link thing. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm assuming this is the same technology. Uh, so I've like, I spent a ton of time on, uh, YouTube. Uh, I follow a bunch of people on there. Uh, I am a photographer, so I watch a lot of stuff from videographers and photographers. And, um, from my understanding, it might not have been Q-Link. It might not have. Um, I might have that wrong. It's just whatever technology. Or I, well, not, it might not have been Q-Link back then is what I was going to say. But like, uh, I think they've been using that technology on like commercial shoots yes. and on um, when you have like a remote shoot, like, so say you were going to put a, uh, you know, sea crew in uh, the middle of a forest because they have to shoot somebody jumping off of a waterfall mm -hmm. and you're not going to put the whole crew there. Mm. They'll use that Q-Link software so you can still keep an eye on it without having to physically send people there. Right. Um, and that technology, you know, when I say a while in technology, that's like a few years, but it's <laughs> um, been around for a bit. So the fact that I, I think one of the things that COVID did 
I'm not going to say for us, but for COVID forced people to do was mm-hmm. like Zoom or like any of these things, mm-hmm. adopt a technology that's actually been around for a while and use it in more of like a mainstream function. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of cool that you can even do that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it is. I mean, it just wouldn't have been possible mm-hmm. prior to this. I mean, and so it's, you know, it, it's, it, again, it is what it is. It's the sort of thing I would have loved to have been on set. Yeah, there, there was a producer on set. There were two actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't one of them. I was in Rhode Island. You were here I with was here. us. Um, right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, so that's, I think like now with, um, you know, a light on the horizon here, mm. that's a big part of what I'm I'm yeah. looking to do with some projects I have coming up is to finally actually be yeah. on set again. When you started um, producing, I know because it kind of, I, I know the last two years are like a total blur for everyone, but because COVID had sort of t- started and and you were already you know working on producing this movie and writing and having a, a big part of it like did all of it was all of it remote like casting uh scout locations was that everything was remote or was there one person that was like you're the guy that can go do everything and there were people on the ground because the yep. the, the desperate hour shot in uh just outside of um toronto oh so there was a crew in canada at the time that were mm-hmm. you know the kind of the boots on the ground and everything else then naturally, when the movie is being shot, movie stars Naomi Watts. So, yep. of course, she was there, and you know the director was there. And she zoomed into it's just a laptop in, yes. on a, on a <laughs> seat. <laughs> um, there were no shortage of those movies made during the pandemic. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. That's so, true. I understand why. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it it just it was it was a skeleton crew. I mean, and frankly, that's in a shoot like this, that's all you really need. Yeah. You know? So it's kind of like it kind of got us back to the basics of what you need to make a movie of this size, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, it just there were people physically there. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is you've worked with the actress Naomi Watts twice because she was in yeah. the Sea of Trees too. Mm-hmm. Did she like? I don't know if you chat with her, but like, d- is this someone that you are like? Oh, this movie's being made. I think you'd be good for it. Or did she like audition? Like, how? This is a world that I'm not familiar with, no, and this is fine. so exciting it's, to like. Generally speaking, people like her like. McConaughey, whatever they don't audition they just mm. kind of get a role that's offered to them and you know they're kind of their pedigree their yep. experience speaks for itself you know if you want them or not yeah yeah there's but, very few uh directors that can ask those people right. to audition this is very <laughs> it's true it, yeah and, and so um you know i had that relationship with her so yeah. what it did is it kind of created a you know a shortcut to getting the project to her and for her to take it seriously mm. because i mean the and especially especially now it's really i'm I'm involved with a project right now that's been such a nightmare to try to get mm. to cast and you would think like you're offering someone like a, a ridiculous amount of money yeah to go make a movie that's ready to be made and you can't get people to even read that's crazy and it's because there's so much content out there now. so much being made yeah i mean at it's all like times. They, they have like 20 other scripts that they have to get to first yeah. and you know this tv show or this mm-hmm. that um, so what I'm saying is it allowed it allowed me to kind of cut through a lot of that because mm. I had that relationship with her. Yeah. For that type of casting, um, for a movie like this, yeah. where it's, it is like pretty much it's similar to Buried, like one location, one actor. Uh, I don't know if that's how the whole movie is, but it, that's fine. Um, it seems like a, it could be a big ask or a big swing for the actor because you have the movies like um you know like what my favorite will smith movie is i am legend and mm-hmm. he's like by himself with a dog for 90 sure of the movie it's awesome um and i think that's like his it's my favorite movie aside from like what like pursuit of happiness or something mm-hmm. that he's done um but it does seem like it all it could also be a big risk for that person oh, yeah. because the whole thing hinges on you mm-hmm. that's true. and even if you had a bet let's say you 
didn't know the director or the cut gets messed up and it makes it look like you did a bad job. Even that's can be probably scary for them. Stressful. So is yeah. that like a harder thing to ask somebody to do? It is. And it isn't strangely enough. It's kind of a, a double edged sword, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's hard because you're aware of that as an actor. Naturally, it's like, you're the only one on screen pretty much. And mm-hmm. it does rest on your shoulders, but you also kind of, it's a challenge, you yeah. know? And if, if you Give are like, a little flex them up. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. Yeah. Right. It's like something you haven't done before. And if you feel up for it and if you think the material is strong enough and if you think you can do good work, mm. um, seems like the time where you couldn't get away with bad writing. Oh, look, I mean, there are, the the movie premiered at the Toronto Film Festival back in September. Yeah, under a different the original title was Lakewood. Mm-hmm. Um, got pretty bad reviews. Oh, really? Yeah, it did. And and if anyone took the hit for that, it was me. <laughs> so, oh, God. well, because it seems like that would be like if there's a big ensemble movie or special effects or all this stuff. Yeah, a lot of the time, like the writing can get a little more buried. Mm. When it's yeah. just a person on screen acting, the writing's the thing that shines. Or doesn't. Or, well, I mean, it depends. I mean, and obviously I'm not doing the best job in the world of selling a movie to say, you guys should go watch it. It got really bad reviews. <laughs> well, I, I did watch the trailer like quite a few times. Mm-hmm. Like when, when we first connected, I immediately watched it and then I watched it. I, you know, showed it to my husband and watched it a few more times. And I mean, I love movies and the trailer had me hooked. Yeah, I, mean, I as, say as did I. I thought it, look, it looks like As long as you movie. can promise that it's not going to scare me <laughs> and give me anxiety for eight years. It's, I mean, it's like a, Barry did. No, I mean, <laughs> It's it's a very we should maybe could we talk about the movie a little bit because it's a very yeah. absolutely it's a very you know it's the I think it's largely the topic that mm. people were turned off by and mm-hmm. interestingly and this is purely conjecture on my part but or speculation is that foreign audiences have responded much more favorably to the movie okay and I th- so the movie is about I should start here the movie is about a woman who's out for a run. Um, in the morning and she's very, very far from her house when all of a sudden she receives a notice that there's an active shooter incident at her kid's school, mm-hmm. which is a nightmare. I'm a parent. Yeah. That's an absolute nightmare. Mm-hmm. And she's so far from home. It's not just like, well, I'm going to go back home. And she's like, I, I have to get to the school to be there for him. Right. I have to know what's going on. I'm so, yeah. you know, it speaks to how we get our information nowadays, how we get false information, how we get half truths and all this stuff and how you're a woman in her situation where you're just left at the mercy of what little again breadcrumbs yep. you can gather here and it's something so important to you mm-hmm. to know um and the movie i should point out strictly stays with her it never goes inside the school i didn't mm. want i had no interest in showing that yeah um and you know i wanted to tell a story that you know to me was a topic we're talking about i mean it's it's not some like treaties on Gun control was never meant to be. Yeah. Uh, it's and it's you know. It's about an experience. It's it, yeah, as but a it's, parent, right? It's an experience as a parent, and you know, and also it's a thriller. It's like you know, it, but on top of that, if there's anything it's saying, it's like yeah, school shootings are bad. Yeah, like that's fucking awful. I don't know if I can say that. Um, <laughs> We're fine I don't with think, it. I like yeah. that's some crazy hot take. Yeah. You know, and what and the movie was originally called Lakewood, as I mentioned, and the reason why is because I wanted to show the ripple effect of of because that's the name of the community the, mm. the town you know how these events obviously they affect the, the kids and the teachers that are there in school but yep. there are parents there are grandparents there's your barber there's yep. the, the 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 lady down the street at the grocery store like it affects, it affects everyone everyone yeah. it tears a, a town apart definitely yeah, the idea so you brought up that uh, it stays with her the whole time because it's about her mm-hmm. um in my head goes to like also 
I'm sure this is semi on purpose. The amount of anxiety that that yes. causes of oh, never yeah. actually getting. So you're sticking with her and she doesn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of movies inform the viewer more than. So, you know, something that they don't. Know. Right. Yeah. In right. this case, you don't. Right. There's no dramatic irony built into this of saying like, I know what she, no, you are just as much in the dark yeah. as she is. And you're putting the pieces together. Yeah. As she is. Mm. Uh, and as I said, it is a thriller. So it's not, it's, it's meant to, it's meant to kind of get your, your blood boiling and, and your, um, you know, your, uh, your uh, adrenaline pumping, mm. um, you know, and it's, but it's meant to entertain too. Cause it is, you know, it's a thriller. It's not a drama. I mean, it's yeah. a dramatic thriller for yeah. sure, but um, oh, and to to what I was saying about like with foreign audiences having respond, they've responded more favorably to the movie. And I genuinely think it's because, you know, shoot, not just school shootings, but shootings in general in this country become so like we just hear about them on the news. And yeah, say, oh, just, oh, another one. Oh, yeah. my God, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. And then you go on with your day. Yeah. Which is insane. Yeah. Because yeah. they happen pretty frequently in this country. And I think because they don't in so many other foreign countries. I think there's a different point of view about them. And, and, and one of the criticisms that were certainly leveled at, at this film was that people, some people felt, well, are you exploiting something as serious as a, as a school shooting to make mm-hmm. a movie? Mm-hmm. And I would argue, no. I mean, I think what would be exploitative is if all of a sudden we're watching a movie where a bunch of kids are being shot. I, yeah. Mean, yeah. I, I don't want to see that movie. And that would be exploitative. I wanted to tell the movie about, about a, a a woman in a mother in crisis. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. that, and this is something I think very relatable. It doesn't have to be a school shooting, but just you know, you get a call that your kid was in a car accident. You're yep. like, wait, what? What? Yeah, what do you do? Yeah, like how do I find out more? Yep. Where are they? Which hospital? Well, what are you telling me? What yeah. do you mean you don't know yet? Yep. Where um, you're left totally in the dark, and you're right. just trying to put together the pieces. Right. And 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 frankly, as a parent, because I mean, I'm writing this movie as a parent. Mm-hmm. I, I was just saying, these are the things I would try to be doing in this yep. situation. If I was only mm-hmm. getting these little tiny bits of information, dribs and drabs, yep. I would be doing everything within my power. And that's not to say someone who doesn't do those things is less than a, of a parent. Yeah. Certainly not saying that. Mm. I'm just telling you what I would be doing. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. So anyway, so what I'm getting at is I think there is an element of people kind of feeling, should I feel, mm. I- should I feel icky about this movie? Should mm-hmm. I enjoy it? Um, and, and and that's I mean that's not a cop out. There could be people that just did not like the movie as well. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, not but every there movie, were not every movie is for everybody. Not every movie, <laughs> but there were there were a lot of people that liked it. I mean, yeah. there were a lot of people after it screened in Toronto at the film festival that came up to me and they're like unsolicited were telling me how much they liked it, which yeah. you know, naturally felt good. Um, yeah, I think it's it's I'm I can imagine because even like us having a podcast, like everything we do, everything we say, I'm in my head. I'm always like, I mean, I have these are my intentions. These are like how I'm feeling, but like. I don't know, once it's out there, people, someone can take it however they want to take it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, perception is everything. So if you have one, if you think one thing, I can't change your mind. That's how you think. That's how you feel. And part of me with this, it's like, oh, did this make you feel uncomfortable? Well, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. It should make you feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. This is a really uncomfortable thing that goes on in this country, like way too much. Yeah. And 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 obviously, like there hasn't really been a solution or a resolution yet. So maybe talking about it and, and having it here, maybe that will bridge a gap i mean who knows but hopefully the fingers crossed right that that could happen um but yeah i think it's it's i think when you put yourself out there especially i can imagine how vulnerable writing a movie like this would feel for you because you are a parent mm-hmm. and you're writing it from that perspective and like all you can do is put your your experience in it you know yeah like, and as i said i didn't set out to make some like polemic or some like mm-hmm. treaties on gun control yeah. or whatever else and 
you know, that's people, that's not this movie. There can certainly be great movies and great stories told about that topic and yeah. great debate, right? We have them all the time. Yep. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to make that movie either. You know, I it's just an wanted experience. To, an experience. I just mm-hmm. wanted to make a movie about a about a parent. Yep. yep. Dealing with a horror, you yep. know, in a real life one at that. Yep. Yeah, I mean, if you had written this in, you know, whatever, 20, 30 years ago, uh, there were like a weird amount of kidnappings that happened. Like if you had written this then, maybe the kid would have been kidnapped. You yeah. know, if you had right, written right, it, right, sure. written it just after sure. some, uh, we had earthquakes. Maybe there would have been an earthquake. Right. Like it was just a thing that's in the zeitgeist at this moment yeah. and is scary. Yeah. So you know, it's something that comes into people's heads, and I'm sure that's a horror show that runs through a lot of parents' heads mm-hmm. and literally any of those topics. But whatever t- tends to be happening yeah. in the news now is the one that runs through your head over and over. Of course. And, over again. and I'm gonna um turn this like slightly but because obviously a lot of the movies that you write and that you've produced have had some like thriller aspect to it Mm -hmm. when you're at home like with your wife and with your kids what do you what do you love to like do you like to like totally around the house (laughs) with a mask on like (laughs) um but do you have like a like the thriller aspect of your career do you bring that into what you consume at home or is that like completely different um, no, no, no. I think I try to actually make movies that I'd want to see. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's the kind of, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think, uh, I'm trying to think what the last movie I saw was. I know it's I so bad. I can't even think of what it is. I think the last movie I saw, and this is embarrassing, is Jackass. <laughs> I know what it was. It was Mercy for me. I watched well, it last <laughs> night. <laughs> um, gosh. I don't even know. Because there's know just the so many was. coming at you so fast all the time. And so there's... do you like, because uh, they are two separate categories, thriller and horror. Do you like horror movies? I like horror movies. Yeah. And so you kind <gasps> of bridge that gap. Because have you, has ever, well, those aren't the words I was looking for. <laughs> have any of your movies been more horror or more on the thriller side? I'm trying to think of what I looked in your list there. Yes. Let's see. Let's see. The um, one that you were talking about uh, with the, you said it was like a found footage and talking heads one. Is yes, that more that's horror? a horror movie. Okay. Yes. It, the title card looked more like a horror. Yes, movie. yeah, it was 100%. scary. Yeah, they. I loved those. Do you? So, and maybe this is a, this is definitely a parenting thing that has changed. I think, <laughs> but like I was watching horror movies like Friday the Thirteenth, Halloween, mm-hmm. uh, you know, any of the classic horror movies. When I was like way too young to be watching yeah. horror movies. Yeah. How old are your kids? Uh, eleven and five. Okay, so I was probably 10 or 11 when I started watching these movies. I was too afraid at that age to be watching. Oh, right. Sorry, go ahead. I, I, so I had an older brother, and my dad loved these horror movies, and kind of just treated us as if we were the same age, yeah. even though we weren't. Right, right. So like he was like 12 or 13, I was 10 or 11, and we were watching these movies, and they scared the crap out of me, yep. mm-hmm. obviously. You know, it would be one of those, like, we'd finish one of those. I'd be like, okay, good night. And then I'd, like, put SpongeBob on when I fell asleep <laughs> or something. Uh, Clench your a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but it did make me really like horror movies. And now I don't, I'm not, I'm only, like, I guess afraid's the wrong word. But the only ones that, like, scare me are the ones, like, Strangers or something like that, where it's yeah. plausible. Yeah. You know? I remember the Saw did that for me. Like, I remember seeing Saw. Mm. And the going, first one? Yes. Oh, and actually, yeah. And actually being like that, you know, when you're driving, you kind of look behind ah! your seat. Just yeah. Having oh, that, the, that, the pig mask is going to come yeah, up like behind Yeah, like residual <laughs> fear. Like oh. that, yeah. Yeah. So I have but, something really quick. You were talking about your dad. So my parents are divorced and I'm an, uh, an only child on my dad's side. And he definitely thought that me as like an eight-year-old girl who like loves Hello Kitty and like <laughs> blah, 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 was actually like a 15-year-old teenage boy because we had in his like bachelor pad, when you walked up the stairs, there was a framed poster of The Exorcist 
watched that so one really young. <laughs> I'm just going to say that like you ended up living your life liking horror and I took the opposite route. I was like, I was exposed to this way too much as a child and I'm never going to expose myself ever again to it. He's, I remember like when I would be little and I'd be like sleeping, he'd wake me up with this like, you said you chase your kids around with a mask. I that was that's, my ex- that's not true. <laughs> that was my experience. You said that and I was like, oh, okay, I'm used to that. He'd make wake me up with a mask on and like, listen. <laughs> just, this wow. is, he just screwed with He you. just screwed with my brain and now I can't watch uh, like anything funny. horror because I'm like, yeah, no, no, no. I have too much of a connection to it. But I'm glad so you, you, you went the opposite do way. Do you have an age where, so if you really like horror movies, what age would you start watching them with your kid maybe when they express if they interest. like horror movies if they like them i didn't i did not like horror movies until i was much older mm. yeah I until was, you I was, knew they were fake probably yeah but until you know you they're could... fake i mean it's kind of like it's the seeds especially of good horror movies it's just the seeds of them just get like kind of Ugh, sown in, in your, your brain. brain and they Ugh. grow and grow the more you try yeah. not to think about them the more they grow and the um, ones that messed with me were like i think when like rob zombie started making Horror oh movies, like, and you had like the House of a Thousand Corpses, yes, corpses and, like, right, right. and they were like kind of B movie esque, like sure. on purpose, but a little too realistic with just like the hillbilly side yeah. of it. And like those no. were the ones. That's the kind of movie that I'm like, you know, messes with me. Cat in all, the Woods sort of stuff. That also just I, sounds awful. I don't know. Like I, I, I enjoy the genre. I made movies in the genre. Yeah, I probably will make more. Mm. Um, but I tend to, I think, as far as horror goes, I tend to gravitate towards. Elevated, mm. you know, for lack of a better word, not to sound like yeah. hoity or anything. Really. What, like, what would elevated. be? Ooh, just because I've, I'm not in ones the... that make you think, not to scare you. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, exactly. Do you have a name of one that I can have in my brain? Because I, to me, horror is all one genre. They're all like in the on the same page. Well, I would consider uh, the Strangers and Saw two movies we already mentioned as like as elevated. Those are elevated. Okay. I think so, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, and then they feel like, free to disagree, but something like uh, uh, Saw. I think lost a little bit of sure. that every sequel because there's been a ton of them. The new one wasn't terrible. It had Chris Rock in it. Yeah, which was yeah, a yeah. little <laughs> odd, but it was it wasn't terrible. Um wait, was he a comedian in it? He had some funny lines, but no, he was like a cop. He oh. wanted to do a serious role and he wanted to do a saw movie. That's he so liked funny. Um but it was mm-hmm. funny you said Cabin in the Woods. Have you ever seen that movie? Where they like kind of make fun of the yeah, tropes the Eli of the Roth horror movie. movies. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. that's great. Is that oh, one? Cabin in the Woods. It's, I was thinking of not. I was thinking of the Eli Roth one. Not I Cabin. think it's called Cabin in the Woods, right? Where they're kind of making I'm, fun I'm of th- all the tropes yes, of the movie. Yes, that's Cabin in the Woods. That's yeah. Josh Whedon that did that. I think. Yeah, that's kind. Of, that's a fun movie. Right. What am I thinking of then? The Eli Roth movie. How come I can't? So my husband like loves. Sure. I don't know if you know this, I'll have but to look that up. Okay. my husband loves horror movies, and he went to Eli Roth had like a horror. Um, like a haunted house thing in mm-hmm. Las Vegas where you get to like sign a waiver and Brian like my, Brian is my husband he did that and I was like thank God like I he doesn't need like someone to go with him for that because like <laughs> no I, like he had to like walk through something that like touched his face yeah oh you sign the waiver so they can actually touch you in that those all of that yeah. sounds like the most un no thank you no I'll, I'm just gonna sit in my little cloud of a pink bubble and just <laughs> smile all the time I'll, I'll tell you since it's kind of like we've covered a lot of the thing I'll tell you guys a little story since you mentioned the Chris Rock saw a movie and everything else and yeah and we're all friends we're all from Rhode Island we can Heck yes. tell these inside baseball stories right um I think for the record, I think it's the second time I've used the expression inside baseball. Oh, third so <laughs> time I expect that. I have like words of the ring. day. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, so it was a horror movie I was going to make. <clears throat> and the producer I was doing it with was also the financier. Mm-hmm. Oh. And, this, and the purpose of this, of this antic, antic, antidote, anecdote, anecdote, thank you. <laughs> yep. gotcha. um, 
uh, is to kind of encompass or at least bring up a lot of things we've covered so far. Yeah. Because yeah. it does. It's like a Venn diagram. So, so the movie was coming together. Everything was looking like it's going to be made. Uh, the producer, <laughs> uh, and I'm not saying this to sound cool. This is just reality, but just to show you how these things go. So we get on the producer's private plane. Oh my God. Right. We're going to go look at locations of where we're going to shoot this thing. Mm-hmm. So we're doing all that. Right. And we're pretty much to the end zone of when we're going to start making this movie. Yeah. And the producer just calls me and he goes, so Chris, um, I'm not going to do your movie anymore. <laughs> just, okay. Finally, sorry to say that. He goes, I have the, you know, and I knew about it. And he's like, I, I'm doing another Saw movie. Oh my this, God. I think I'm going to do that one instead. Okay. Oh. Was it that Saw movie that I was just talking yeah. about? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I knew <laughs> Yeah, I, I knew it was oh happening because I, I saw I, it, it was announced in the it, on like Daily Variety or, so, or something a, few, a month or two earlier. You thought that, it might be an addition to what you were doing. I knew it was happening because you know he, we had talked about. It. He's like, hey, yeah. I'm doing another saw. I was like, oh, all right. I thought it was going to be an addition to. It. Yeah. And, and then, then they brought on Chris Rock, and he couldn't afford to do two. No, movies. no, no. Chris, Chris Rock was already involved. Chris Rock actually came to to them and wanted wow. to do this. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, I, I wasn't part of that. So, but that's just what I was told. Um. But again, like talking about how these things, why movies take forever to get made is that they, yep. you just kind of like the wheels of the bus fall off at the last minute. That's sometimes. And they did. And I'm like, and I've been doing this long enough to know that's how it happens. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why when he just told me that, I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez Louise. Back to square one. Yeah. Really much you can do on that one. Yeah. Um, really quick before, because obviously we don't want to take up too much of your time, um, but just to bring it back a little bit to Rhode Island, I always like to ask, like, you know, you live in Southern Rhode Island. Do you have, mm-hmm. like, favorite places that you go with your family for dinner, to grab coffee, or any of those things? Well, you mean, like, on Earth 1 or Earth 2? <laughs> so, I, I mean, we have been very – everyone's been doing this this thing, you know, as best mm-hmm. – as they suit their needs, we'll yeah. just say. Mm-hmm. We have been very conservative. Um, uh, my wife has type 1 diabetes, and so we were, for a long time, very – yeah. It's conservative for lack yeah. of a better word. Mm-hmm. So we didn't go out. We still haven't done any indoor dining and that's mm-hmm. just our choice. And yep. um, so I have not been anywhere. I, I mentioned the Toronto film festival. It's the first time and let it be known that me sitting here with you guys right now is probably the first time I've been in a room with people wow. who aren't my family in two years in two years, other than the festival. Oh. I went to the festival and that was, yep. I was like, I'm going to take that risk. And yeah. Well, um, thanks for coming here. We appreciate no, it. No, I mean, I feel like it's time too. Yeah, you know, yeah. I feel like we're at a place that maybe it's time to start doing these things and we're yep. going to go on vacation, my family and I soon. We're like, we're, we're getting to that yeah, point. Where, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, just for anyone who doesn't know, like myself being also a type one diabetic, I was the ex- exact same way. Like my husband and I did not even like step into an, a place that wasn't our home until we were both vaccinated. Same. Like yeah. we did not go to the market. Like we got delivery. We did the pickup thing. Right. Because like when you're a diabetic, especially type one, the the way things affect you is like you never know. It, it, Correct. It could like affect you and it could take you out for two weeks. It could you could get a even a cold or a flu and it could be over in a second. Like yeah. you have no idea how it's going to affect your blood sugar. People don't realize that your blood sugar literally affects like every organ in your body. Like mm-hmm. it's just kind of a hot mess express. So and if anyone who- I'll say and at the beginning of this, I was living at home with my parents and at that time our my grandparents who at the time weren't doing the greatest and yeah. I was right. we were on lockdown too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. You know, nobody knew what the hell was going on. So. Right. And that was the case for us for a long time. To, to answer your question, places I used to like to go. Yeah. Or places you might be looking forward to going. Forward to going to. I like the Coast Guard House. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Um, 
But I grew up, this is the thing, I grew up in Providence, in North yeah. Providence. So like, mm-hmm. I still tend to hang in that area. That's you do? Yeah. And I just was so sad to learn that the Grange closed. I know. I we love we just have like a group chat that we were talking about that. So, yeah. But do you know that the people who own the Grange also own Garden Grill? They, I did not know that until I read the article that said Garden the Grange Grill closed. Garden Grill is yeah. so good. It and is their good. takeout is really good. So if you're ever like in the area and you just want to do takeout, their takeout is it, it, it is a different vibe though. I've been there totally. like, like one or two times. And the just Grange is more of like place. a, a fa- like, I don't want to say fancy, but like feels more of like you could do like a date night. You could sure. kind of get dressed up. Garden Grill is much more casual. I used to like going to, um, and hopefully we'll go back soon to like Bayberry. Mm, Bayberry's awesome. That's still yeah. there, right? That's still, yep. okay. And they actually opened a second location in downtown okay, Providence. It's Excellent. more like, um, like Bayberry Beer Hall. The original, I think, is more sort of like that beer holly vibe. Mm-hmm. The new location is a little feels more restauranty. Okay, it has all big windows and it's right downtown. It's beautiful. Um, I know. But, you, I told you guys I listened to the podcast you guys had with the uh, I forget. I Jeremy. apologize, Jeremy, Jeremy from the Guild, and it was a great podcast, by the way. And, Thanks. Um, that's that was kind of more my vibe, kind of like more the the, yeah. the brewery thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We had actually a because whole... I use expressions like my vibes. I'm clearly old. <laughs> <laughs> no young person says that. I mean, we we still say it. Well, you we say, say it. what do they, they say? Although I'm not they, young they anymore, they call so. something a vibe now. A vibe. It's a vibe. It's a vibe. Okay. vibe. It's it. a vibe. Yeah. No, who knows what all this new slang is? But um, another place <laughs> that you might like that's nice and big and airy and has a, a nice outdoor area when you guys are ready to go out is the new Narragansett. At brewery i've um, driven past it so it's I saw really it. It nice. nice it's um very big it's very spacious and then in the summertime yeah, we have, have a party coming up there in a couple of months oh, we do cool. um there's like big bay doors so you can get like that space you need where mm-hmm. you feel like you're not like on top of someone right um so when you guys are in the area you can check it out yeah i mean for me it's a combination of like you know again the the pre-pandemic of it you know stuff with my family tend we tend to kind of hang in south county because yep. we live down that end yep. and then my friends i'll go back into providence because a lot of them still live what made you decide there. to make the move because like to no one else that's not a far move but right. to a rhode <laughs> islander moving from providence to oh south, southern Ro- that's a big haul might as well be across the, the country across the across potomac the, <laughs> yeah. the uh I, my wife grew up my wife's a rhode islander as well and she grew up in westerly so she was that's uh. closer to Okay. home for her and everything yep. and, and just that's that's more part of the state she's accustomed to which i was fine with because obviously there's nothing wrong with being close to the beaches yeah no else. southern rhode island is great yeah. did you move there when you had kids yes and so you wanted like the yard and yeah we wanted the yard too. and everything mm-hmm. else so yeah it wasn't it wasn't a covid move yeah. which mm-hmm. i know was a very big thing speaking of westerly the uh nick just shot a cover of a restaurant in westerly that you guys should try when you're dining out called surf cantina okay the chef fran is like so awesome and i've heard from multiple people so they do like tacos that i think their slogan is like tequila and tacos um i've heard from multiple sources that their tacos are like unbelievable so okay she invited we did a a shoot here in the studio so i didn't actually get to go down there yeah it was a portrait shoot for the cover of so rhode island um and she's just really cool and Mm. the food sounds awesome so like we're gonna make a trip down there at some point we just haven't done it yet (laughs) Put it on your list, though, because that sounds amazing. Um, no, but we obviously we love Rhode Island, and I'm happy that you are here with your wife. And I'm trying to answer your question, though. Sorry, I gave you the Coast Guard house. <laughs> I, I kind of went astray. I told you tangent. It yes. just happens. Uh, I like I like Calf Bar a lot. I used to go oh, there. Yeah, I used yeah. to write there a lot. That was the other thing. Is like I used to always write out of my house. Mm. That's been different over the past two years. I'm writing at home now in my yeah. office. Yeah. Um, so I kind of would like run this groove between every – it's like calf bar and brood awakenings mm. and 
Uh, Which I the South County one's gone? That's now? gone. Yeah, that one's that not there anymore. That kind of me out. I was down there for a shoot, and I like literally pulled in and, and drove like, no! up and went, oh, Wait, no. where was it right. located? It was in South the South County uh, Commons. Commons. Uh, yeah. Oh, that one's closed? That's oh, close. shoot. But Pasquale's yeah. is still there, and they have really yep. good food. Not that it's the same thing. But, yeah. yeah. I honestly, because I know there's a Brood Awakenings in Warwick, and like I'm just like, oh, yeah, go to the one in Warwick. I know that that's very out of the way for you, but <laughs> I there's a common thread also on this podcast that I don't know where anything is at any point. Geography so. is not Sasha's strong suit. It's not. So you're like, oh, Southern Rhode Island. I'm like, oh, go to the one in Warwick. <laughs> go to the one in Cranston. Have you been down to, um, I know you uh, probably not yet because I think they opened this during the pandemic, uh, but Tilted Barn Breweries. Oh, I love it place. there. Yeah, yeah, I've been there a bunch because yeah. I, I went because they had the outside thing. So it was yeah. easy to do. And, mm-hmm. um, I love Tilted and Barn. And prior to, yes, I think, I think it was prior to COVID. It was like opened just before. Yeah, maybe it was just yeah. before. They, and they, were, small they did barn. all their outdoor stuff. Yes. And, yeah, the, well, I, I haven't. I actually don't think I've been back since I, so when I, last time I was there, I was doing a shoot for another cover of Silver Island mm-hmm. uh, on the beer and I used them on the cover and it was while they were building the new barn, but still operating out of the old barn. Right. Mm. Right. Uh, so I've seen what it looks like and I've kind of peeked in the windows, but it's I haven't very been there cool. since. It is very cool. That yeah, place. yeah. Yeah. I really like it there. And like you said, it's like the outdoor space is so big. Like if you wanted to like bring a blanket and just like sit away from everyone mm-hmm. you could like the the options are sort of endless there which is really nice um yeah i, I mean i love breweries I, I don't drink beer but i love them i love yeah. i love the vibe uh, the, yes it's a vibe it's a vibe it's a vibe, <laughs> it's a vibe. <laughs> i love all the vibes um there's some good ones in providence there's like moniker and bayberry and um i'm hoping that for like saint patrick's day that's coming up i'll make the rounds mm. i love making the rounds of not drinking beer, (laughs) just my soda water the whole time. Um, But Chris, thank you so much for coming here and being here with us and talking about your experience, your movies. Again, I definitely fangirled that entire time because I've loved movies my entire life. And I've never really gotten to like pick someone's brain who's directly involved in that industry in the way that you are. Um, So I appreciate you answering all of our I mean, Nick had like good questions. One My questions were questions. very silly, um, but we appreciate it. And we're really excited to see the movie. Yeah. And you have the you. movie, The Desperate Hour, uh, which is going to be out in theaters and video on demand on February 25th. I believe this will drop just a little after that. Mm-hmm. So it should already be out when uh, you folks hear uh, this announcement, <laughs> I guess. Uh, so get out and see it. Uh, if it's on video on demand, um, order it up. Uh, watch it there uh, is there any good place uh do you have anything online for people to follow you do you have social media oh, channels or? I, I am on twitter that's the only thing i'm on, on, I'm on at at chris sparling so my name nice all right good enough anything follow him on the tweets that we didn't get to cover that you wanted us to cover um i don't can i do a quick shout out i you just, just oh, talking yeah. about breweries and it just popped yeah. in my head so my i don't mean to like belabor this no that's no, all right everything if that's okay but of I, course I like so uh my buddy, this is, you know, I don't know, just food for thought for you guys. My buddy owns a brewery uh, down in St. John in the Virgin Islands. Oh. He's a Rhode Islander. He's a friend from growing up. Oh, and, my uh, God. They, uh, he, they own a beer company and brewery uh, on the island there, and they have for many years. And so uh, shout out to them. I'm going to, like I said, I think we're getting back out into the world, so I'm going to go down there. And, and my Very nice. start of my COVID journey was down there and had to hightail at home. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. What's, the, what's the name of his brewery? Uh, it's St. John Brewers, and oh. he has a bar down there called The Tap Room. Oh, that's so cool. cool. I want to go there. Any any excuse to go anywhere that's... Yeah, I love Rhode right. Island, but I also like to vacation from Rhode Island. Bye. Yeah, I just like to move around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I hope you guys have so much fun on your trip. Thank You're you. 
you know, it's it's time to, well, everyone is different, but like have fun yeah. if you can. Be safe and do your thing, guys. Yeah. And th- uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Chris, thanks for coming on. Thank uh, you. Really enjoyed this conversation. This so and I hope everybody else did as well. Yeah. Thanks. Have fun, guys. Thanks, everybody. Bye.